is it is it such a Lamborghini model that presumably that's not your travel model? Yes, it's. Too, I can't bring it with me. It's like integrated into your kitchen. It kind of, it's, it's like getting a piped in espresso machine. It's heavy. It has seven settings. Okay. Um, and also, it. <laughs> do you want to hear more about it? What does that even mean? Seven so settings seven of what? Seven settings of crispiness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it also something you may not even know. <laughs> this conversation this is, is outstanding. Hey everybody, welcome on back to King of the Ride podcast. As always, I am your host, I am Ted King, and I am pumped about today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Kate Courtney on the show today. Already America's fastest professional mountain biker, Kate and I chatted a few months back in hopes of finding time to make this particular conversation happen. As I was making some transcontinental trips out to her native and my former hometown, California. Then lo and behold, amid that time, she goes ahead and takes the professional world championships by storm. She earns herself the title of women's cross-country UCI world champion. Boom. So freaking impressive. In an absolutely smashing fashion, I will add. I was watching the race on my phone up in Canada at the time. I saw the internet blow up when Kate took the title. Ever the sincere friend that she is, thankfully her off-season was not too busy for little old me. I caught up with Kate on what marked the final ride of her 2018 season before some very well-earned R&R. So over the course of this pod, Kate and I are going to dissect the world championship race itself. We're going to nerd out on training, and then we transition off the bike. We talk about life, we talk about academia, her upbringing, and family We unveil my secret indulgences. We even explore the Lamborghini of waffle makers, as you may have just got a snippet a short moment ago. Friends, this conversation truly has it all. On a quick editorial show note, please pardon the funny noises that you're going to pick up over the course of this podcast. We are sitting in a beautiful park in downtown Bohemian Hamlet of Fairfax, California. This park just so happens to be next to an automotive garage, so the pops bangs, hisses, please pay no attention to those, nor the noshing of seasonal treats, which become part of the show itself as well. Quickly off topic, um, I'm ecstatic to be wrapping up what I consider the busiest two months of maybe my entire life, eight states in the last two months, three countries by my count, a handful of trips to California, beginning with Grindero, and then a few more heading back to Healdsburg, tucked in the northern Sonoma wine country. There's a very cool project slowly being unveiled up there, so please stay tuned. The King Challenge, of course, is a pillar of my fall. And that was back in New England. From there, I was off to Catalonia, my former homeland for the better part of my career, and an exquisite Ingamba trip taking place. I gotta say, it is a very special position to be in to help share these roads, to share the training and the terrain on which I poured so much in my life. So, yeah, really great trip just, just two weeks back. On the future horizon... I want to lob out these letters for you real quick. S-B-T-G-R-V-L. Steamboat Gravel. Check it out. That's an event coming up this August, August 2019, that I know is going to really put on a show. I raced and trained quite a bit in Steamboat during the bygone USA Pro Challenge. And this area, this part of the country, is so truly magnificent. I, I just, I know that this is going to be an immediately planted event on the gravel scene. Definitely check that out. Folks, 
That is all. I thank you all for who have left reviews on the show. Please, if you have not, it takes just a few seconds of your time on whatever podcast player you're using. Right here, right now, please hit the subscribe button and tell your friends or anyone else you think might be interested to hear what we have on King of the Ride. On that note, it's time for me to say goodbye. Up next, my conversation with Kate Courtney. And with that, we're rolling. Kate Courtney, welcome to the King of the Ride podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, I'm excited to have you on the show today because you are, believe it or not, I think this is, it'll probably be approximately episode 17-ish, and you are our first world champion. So congratulations on winning the Elite Women's UCI Mountain Bike World Championships. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. Um, just just wrapped up. Also, an exciting reason to have you on the show. I'm excited to have picked up your very last training day of the 2018 season. Yeah, it was a really hard one. Uh-huh. Really. A lot of, well, we were just talking a second ago about it. Define for me type two fun. Type two fun is a type of fun that is only fun afterwards. So you're glad you did it, but while you're actually having the experience... Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much. So that's the whole element of suffering. Yeah. Okay. Is this Most a defined? <laughs> is it a defined? That's like real, the legit reason for it. Because yeah, I only have ever heard this term in the context of cyclists. Yeah, I think I've heard it in maybe a couple of things. I think it's uh, any extreme sports or uh-huh. adventure activities in which you get to a point that you're really happy you got to, but the journey is not as fun. For example. I did the Grand Fondo this weekend with uh, my mechanic, Brad, and we spent two of the hours of our five-and-a-half-hour ride riding in the rain, Mm. which was not so fun. But at the end, we're like, oh, it was epic. We had this awesome journey. It made it even better. I dig it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, so we're talking about, right, cycling, extreme sports, et cetera. I wonder, let's pretend your your jam was stamp collecting. Like, Mm -hmm. do they have type two fun? Is it, like, really hard? I mean, to if collect you have to, that stamp. Yeah, I don't know if you're licking a lot of stamps. It could get yeah. tiring. Yeah. There could be some moments you're just slogging through. Oh, man. Nose to the grindstone on stamp collecting. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you will have collected a lot of stamps. So yes. Maybe and so you've it. reached, you know, means to the end. Um, yeah, ripped around Tamo Rancho. That was probably the Tamo Rancho, for those not in the know, is a very quintessential loop here in Marin, mm-hmm. Fairfax. Potentially, arguably, you would probably argue for it. The birthplace of mountain biking is this here in Neck of the Woods. Um, I've probably ridden Tamarancho mm, 25 times. With this, <laughs> you having just ridden Tamarancho, how many times do you suppose that is? I can't even count. I rode Tamarancho. It was a it was a pretty good local loop for our high school teams. And actually, just looking back on it, it's amazing we had that loop available. Because it's a good mix of technical riding and really fun single track. Um, but truly, there was a time there where I didn't ride it for a while because I was tired of riding huh. it. But now, going back today, it's it's like one of my favorite places to come back to. And also, um, I think it's a good mix for me of remembering how fun it was the first times I rode it and how that was a huge part of uh, me falling in love with the sport, but also 
seeing how much better I am than I was then. Uh, Truth. Because there's spots I had to walk and spots I was afraid of. And going back and feeling really confident and comfortable on those trails is, is one of the things that makes cycling so fun. It's definitely a trail with some whoop-de-whoops and some fun, <laughs> some fun, you know... It's it's a whole lot of fun throughout. There are a very limited number of hyper technical sections. You greased through them with ease today. Um, yeah, clearly you've 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 got the chops. What's your okay world champ? Freaking amazing. What do you suppose is like a skill in particular? Are you a jack of all trades? You do everything well. You're technically savvy. You're good uphill. You're good downhill. Or are you like acutely aware of your skill? Acutely aware of your your uphill prowess. Hmm. What do you do well? I think what do I do well? Strengths and challenges. Um, I think everyone has different strengths, and and I certainly have a lot of challenges, which is part of what makes off season an exciting time to kind of go in and pick those things apart and make plans to make them less challenging for me. Um, but in terms of strengths, I think uh, you know this year I did a lot of things that were outside my comfort zone, the Cape Epic Marathon Worlds, and and I'm learning what things um <laughs> sorry we're having a distraction there is a cute dog yeah rolling in front of us so we'll just try to overcome this is i love our venue so today uh <laughs> the the roving king of the ride podcast studio travels with me um as we've discussed in virtually every episode because something like that happens all the time we're in a beautiful park in fairfax and a dog is rolling around and scratching the heck out of his back big dog fans mm-hmm. over here we are loving it. Um, but back to my strengths and weaknesses. Uh-huh. I would say my strengths are very short, uh, punchy climbing. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe not necessarily doing it once, but being able to recover from it and do it a couple times. I think that's uh, my biggest strength. Um, technically, I think I'm I'm pretty technically good on like World Cup style features. But I definitely have a lot of things to work on. And, and as a student of mountain biking... I shouldn't say that. I'm not a student of mountain biking. I was a mountain biker when I first got into the sport, which was some 15-odd years ago. And at that point, I feel like mountain bike races were like two hours long, and yeah, they were technical. It depends on where you were. Whereas now, World Cup mountain biking, which is in a peak of all peaks for in terms of cycling, are these short, what, hour and 15-minute races, hour-long races mm-hmm. that are just full gas, hyper-technical, right? Yeah, there's a lot of technical features, and I think it's a particularly... Uh, it's like a specific type of technical. Um, so it's not maybe like trick riding or like freestyle riding. And you don't see the same types of things in a cross country race as you would in a downhill race or an enduro race. Um, but the things that we are, uh, required to do have gotten a lot harder and, and require specific skills, especially on a cross country bike. So drops, um, rock features, really rooty sections, um, and at the World Championships, you might have seen it. There wasn't a specific spot that was super, super technical, but it was consistently technical. And I think those um, are those types of courses are becoming more common and mm-hmm. are some of the hardest, not because of how hard the features are, but because of how hard they are to continue to ride when you are completely cross-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I was watching... Your race-winning victory in a hotel lobby in Quebec City, because we happened to have Wi-Fi at the time, and through some modern miracle, you can watch bike races on your telephone, and the gal who was in first place by the name of? Annika Langball. 
Annika Langwald, apparently she's extremely fast. Right, she dabbed, you went ripping by her, and then the whole cycling world went, oh my god. Um, <laughs> have you have you had time to like take in the race? And like, do you, do you pay attention? You know, you, you are taking in the race from the vantage point of your two eyes. Do you know what's happening elsewhere? Like, This is a good, this is a very well-timed question. Oh, great. Um, so I actually hadn't watched the race until last night. I watched it for the first time. My dad has watched it almost every day. (laughs) My dad like watches the race and cries every day. It's absolutely amazing. (laughs) That's outstanding. Um, So needless to say, dad's a fan. Okay. Dad's a fan. Dad rocks. But I have watched a lot of tape. I watch a lot of those races um, and kind of study my competition, what happens, but actually hadn't watched races really from the season where I make appearances. (laughs) So it was very weird to go back and watch. Um, but I think what's weirder is I kind of, I was sitting there with my mechanic and my family and, and was telling them what I was thinking at these moments. And my mom was fascinated. Like, what were you thinking when Emily passed you? Or what were you thinking at this moment? And when you go back and watch, like I misremembered a lot of what happened. Like I didn't even know that I was in certain places at certain times. And, um, it's really interesting to see what your mind focus on and how that shapes, uh, your perception of your performance and also like how it felt in the moment to, to be there. How, I mean, how tactical can you be when you're in the second half of the world championships and you're gunning for the win you're gunning for a podium? Yeah. Holy cow. You're gunning for the win. Um, I mean, as a non mountain biker, like I just sort of picture you going full, full gas, seeing the red cross eyed the entire time. Is there any, truth to that or is it is it tactical oh somebody dabbed time to hit it i think so fully in the red is certainly how i would describe my pace but i did train really really specifically for that race and knew my limitations um and had a really good race plan so i was focused on like running that race plan i actually did have my power meter visible in this race which is it's one of the only times i've ever done that Hmm. in an event um and the reason was because I had done so many specific efforts for this race that I knew exactly what I could do. And it was at altitude. Oh, no kidding. Um, and it's also a very physically demanding course. So being able to tap it back on that first climb, I think, uh, you know, that's two minutes of a 13-minute lap. Mm-hmm. And people think that's it. It's that one climb. But really, if you're able to keep it in, under control on that climb, um, you'll be able to pedal the rest of the course because there's not really a lot of... Uh, room to recover so that's for me the, the pacing was a huge uh, part of it in this race mm-hmm. but I think also watching the race last night I was I was so focused on my own plan that I I wasn't thinking about placing mm-hmm. as much um and that's you know hard to say obviously I knew I was in the metal position and I was telling my dad at different points in the race like there was a point where I was desperately trying to give someone get someone to give me a split to fourth place i was like i really want to get a medal sure this would be really awesome if i got a medal Uh where is fourth place how far ahead are emily and i Uh and you know that was my focus for a while and then you know i i remember climbing behind emily and emily was trying to catch annika and so i knew she was probably going as hard as she could and i was like man i'm pretty comfortable right now and so in my mind i was like okay I'm in a race for silver now and I feel like maybe I can get it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the next lap I, I attacked Emily on that big climb and, and that was planned based on kind of our last lap. Um, and I think 
looking back now too, being with Emily on that lap and maybe taking a little time to recover and thinking I was only in a race for silver. So I need to recover so that I can compete with Emily. That actually helped me in the end because I paced really well and never did the, I got to win. I got to win. I'm going to go as hard as I can right now and blow up. Um, which I think you see a lot of people doing on this course, mostly because you can, it's really easy to completely pin it on that first climb and then not be able to maintain your pace Mm -hmm. on the technical flat pedaling sections that require so much more energy. Stay on the gas there. Right. How had you raced that course before? I did. Yeah. I Uh, raced twice there. Okay. And, and, you know, as you're saying, you're like, oh shoot. Okay. Where's fourth. Oh wow. I'm like gunning for a medal. Oh shoot. It can be silver. Holy cow. Now I'm going racing for the gold. Your season was not loaded with victories outside a national championship. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a transition you, year. <laughs> yeah, I'd call it a, a remarkably successful transition year. You are 23 years old? 22. But so. racing age 23. So, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, you are a recent college graduate, which, of course, is something that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Yeah, I mean, even going into the race, what did you think was viable, feasible? Yeah. So, I think uh, I had a couple moments of good form this season. And, and I think also, um, you know, you learn in elites that someone who's maybe at the absolute top of their game, who's been doing it for a long time, who has the experience and the fitness and the skills, they can kind of target all the races. But for someone like me, who's really just trying to make it an elite and, and find my place and learn every single race, totally, um, I had to optimize for a few opportunities. Mm-hmm. And for me, we kind of optimized beginning of the season Cape Epic, end of the season World Champs. Uh, and also a knee injury in the middle of the season. May, I took actually two weeks completely off the bike in June, which no kidding. as a cyclist, you know, is a little bit brutal. Mentally terrifying. Uh, and mentally terrifying. And but wait, so walk me through uh, uh, Cape Epic is what date? Cape Epic is, is what date? It was in March. Okay. Um, and that's an eight day stage race. And. World champs are late September, so yeah. goodness gracious. I mean, I used to think of mountain biking as a pretty limited season. That's a yeah. huge spectrum of time. It's a long season, okay. but I think, you know, having goals that are farther apart allows you to kind of target and peak for them. So totally. for me, those two events were for sure my my focus of the season. And um, while I did have some races with, with better form and some better results in the year, um, I think I was pretty consistently, you know, within that top 10 group mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. certainly a jump to be in that top five, top three group. 100%. Uh, and the first time I did that was at Mont Saint Anne yep. and I was really, I was really strong for that race. It was after that break, uh-huh. um, I kind of built back up and that was the first time that I had really been, you know, training for a while since that break and, and was back on form. Um, and obviously that race was a bit of a a heartbreaker for me when I yeah. was going into the last lap, like in third, got a flat, crashed a bunch of times. And I felt also kind of cracked under the pressure. Like I crashed on the last lap when I totally could have maintained fifth just by not making a mistake. Oh, man. Um, you know, made a bunch of mistakes and, sure. and got sixth right off the podium. Um, so I, I had seen a glimmer of hope that it was possible, but I still thought of myself as a top 10 rider. And in a lot of ways, I still think I am a top 10 rider and next year my goal is to prove myself as a top five rider. Sure. Um, it's not to win every race because I had one day yep. where I was capable of doing that. Um, sure did. You, you just happened to pick a really, really <laughs> good one, one, which is zero coincidence. I mean, you, you, 
Oh, man. You seem to be a student of the craft in that I've seen... I've seen you uh, on Instagram doing jump practice, for example. And, you know, two years ago, you make a switch over to uh, Jim Miller as your coach, who, you know, Jim seems to, to work with really successful athletes. So, I mean, these things are not mistakes, and it's all leading up to success. But holy guacamole to do it as a 23-year-old is absolutely <laughs> outstanding. Thank you. Which is a digression, you're very welcome, that we don't want to get into right now. Let's talk about... What we're doing right now, which is indulging in some pumpkin bread. Uh, so we are. I'm I'm back in California where I lived for two and a half years, and a great success in coming back is being able to to enjoy the things that we don't have on the East Coast. So pumpkin bread here, um, the salad bar at Good Earth where we got this, and the pesto turkey sandwich at Good Earth are all things I was really looking forward to. So. We're eating the pumpkin bread. It's, it's October first. It's pumpkin bread season. What do you think? How's it? it how's is, it stack up? It is moist. It is fluffy. Mm-hmm. It, it is, is delicious. The consistency. Mm-hmm. I like to bake. So my secret oh, talent oh. is I like to bake. Pardon my chewing. What do you like to bake? This sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Quick breads, cookies, mm, pies, but mostly sticking to pumpkin pie. So my secret indulgence mm-hmm. is baking. My my public favorite food is pumpkin so like you see that crossover happening a lot yeah baking this is pumpkin like the ultimate treats for you right now it is but i can never get this kind of consistency we need to go back and get their recipe i think we definitely need to we're gonna we'll, we'll get it for the listeners here uh-huh. we'll, we'll publish it in the next link episode in bio pumpkin yeah. bread <laughs> so this being the last day of 2018 training on the mm-hmm. so to well, speak i mean you're gonna start a very strong word this day um, the last day of Bicycling. <laughs> Bicycling before some sort of break. What did you do? What sort of indulgence did you have? Did you give yourself? Did you allow yourself after winning the world champs? And not to make all the mm-hmm. questions hinge around that because, but it's just yeah. so darn interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, the week later you're racing marathon <sighs> world. So yeah. it's not as though you can completely let yourself go. No, or I you mean, could. honestly, I would. usually for me, I don't, I'm not a huge uh fan of like big parties and indulgences right after the race i usually like to kind of chill a little bit get mm-hmm. home and then celebrate with all my friends and family who are at home mm-hmm. um honestly because as you know the highs of a race and also just the physical exertion it takes a lot of times you're just really tired after a race and and want to go to bed at a reasonable hour yep have some champagne mm-hmm. have dessert for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. but for me, like, be able to take some time. That's smart. That being said, I didn't sleep for, like, the five days after Worlds because <laughs> I was just too excited. So, you know, kind of having to rein that back in and turn it around for Worlds uh, on the marathon side mm-hmm. was a bit of a challenge, but I think ultimately really good for me, really good for my head, and I think it's going to be something that I look back as as a really good decision going into next season because um, it did give me a little butt kicking at the end of the year, and... It reminded me, you know, I did have that day when it all came together and that's a really special thing. Like for a cyclist, we don't have that many of those days. And when that happens, it's really amazing, but I'm a bike racer and like, that's who I am. That's what I do. And so after that bike race, I went and did a bike race. And I think that's important for me, um, to remember and to be able to do and to go suffer like a dog and be humbled by that was a really, uh, 
good thing to help me kind of get a little distance from that perfect day. Cause I think that can be, I don't know. It can be a little stressful sure. to think about when your last race goes so well. Yep. Uh, and there's a lot of hype around it. It's hard to, uh, just go back to, to ground zero. Um, but marathon world did that for me very quickly Excellent. and aggressively. So that was one <laughs> week after world champs mm-hmm. also in Europe. So you're not, mm, I mean, you're, you, you talked about waiting to come back to the States to party with, uh, party, <laughs> party. Strong word. throw some air quotes out there, but yeah, I mean like Cyclist be one party. with your, with your family and supporters and friends back home as you come out of the world champ win. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the, you know, the element of teamwork here. Um, it's interesting because you raced the world championships for the banner of, uh, United States of America. Mm-hmm. And then you race the regular season under the banner of Specialized. Yeah. So how does that team dichotomy work at a world championship? I mean, do you have yeah. a similar staff? Do you have, you're obviously surrounded by more Americans in the, the Blevins yeah. and the Grots and the, the mountain bikers of the world. It's a special race. So world championships is unlike any other race of the season. And um, for a lot of reasons, not only because the rainbow jersey is on the line, but because we all get to race for our... Uh, national teams, which for me is really special. I love, uh, you know, having the USA on my back and, and feeling like I'm, you know, racing for my country and, and with a team of American riders that includes not only elite riders that you see at every world cup, but junior riders and U 23s who maybe don't get the opportunity to race in Europe as much. So Mm -hmm. it's a a really special environment. That being said, um, I do stay with my professional team and pretty much run the same program for world champs. And that's something that I've gone back and forth on. I think it's really cool to spend time with the national team, but I also, uh, really do prioritize keeping things consistent in terms of my preparation. And so for me, it's been really nice to have the support of specialized and to keep the same mechanic, the same staff, the same exact program, um, as any other world cup, I treat it the same in almost always. Um, and then to, you know, find other times to go over to the team USA hotel and spend time with the team and, especially with the other elite women. I think we really felt a sense of camaraderie, especially heading into the Olympic cycle of, Hey, we all, we all want to do well and we want to see each other do well. And that was a really special environment to be in. Um, and I think for me, it's the best of both worlds. I get to represent my country and also, um, have the amazing support of my trade team. Seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Win, 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 win. Um, speaking of the Olympics, 2020, year and a half away. Mm-hmm. Eh, probably a tiny bit less than a year and a half, but unimportant. Really? I mean, seems, yeah, I feel soon. That seems very soon. So, I mean, presumably that's got to be a super target as a 22 year old, racing age 23 year old currently. World champ. Is that like, yeah, what is your next goal? Are you going after Dirty Kanza, which would be my recommendation, or the Olympics, which might be everybody else's Plot recommendation? Twist. I have yeah. quit mountain biking. Um, <laughs> I've decided to fully focus my efforts on Dirty Kanza. Uh, I won't be doing any other events. It's Smart. just that. P.S. I'm yes. coaching her now. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> I've made some transitions. Mm-hmm. No, I think for me, um, you know, 2016, I made a soft run at the Olympics. I was a U23 at the time and pretty young. So I knew I wouldn't qualify automatically. I was racing in the under 23 category, but was hoping for the discretionary pick. And, and how many women did we send that year? Two. Okay. So it was Lee Davidson and Chloe Woodruff. Two great um, gals. Great. Exactly. Uh, so I think I, I was definitely 
disappointed when I didn't get to go. And I remember feeling that and being like, wow, I really care about this. Yeah. This is, that's important. Like, I really care about this. Awesome. And I felt, uh, you know, before that, I think for me, the Olympics were something I like wanted to go to. And I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be an Olympic athlete. I didn't grow up, uh, you know, I, I didn't see the path to that when I was a kid because I, I wasn't doing sports that I thought I would make the Olympic team for. Okay. Um, so for me in 2016, when I didn't make it, it was a really important moment for me setting the goal of, no, this is what I want to do. I really want to go to the Olympics. This uh, is really important to me. And I think my re- response after that was, okay, I want to go in 2020. I want to qualify automatically. Or like, yeah. I want to really make the team. Because it's clear to me they could have sent me because I was young. Mm-hmm. And they could have made an argument for that. Sure. Um, but I don't want to go like that. I want to go because I earned a spot and because I deserve to go. And I want to go and compete. I don't want to go and like wave right. and well, enjoy painting my face fly the with flag. USA. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I really want to be an Olympian and race in the Olympics. And good gravy. I mean, yeah, yeah. you're going to be going in as a, some sort of favorite in some regard. I mean, mean, it's a lot, anything can happen. Absolutely. It it is. Yeah. A year and a half is very close. It's also startlingly far. So Mm -hmm. yes, anything can happen. Um, I mean, talk about the, the, the sports you were doing as, Mm -hmm. as a kid growing up and, and, you know, not really anticipating being an Olympic athlete. Uh, yeah. Yeah, play question. What sports were you doing? I was a ski racer. I ran cross country. I was really into horseback riding for a long time. I did show jumping. And admittedly, all those sports are Olympic sports. I do know this. I think part of the problem was I was never that good at any of them. Okay. Okay. I think I was a very, I don't know. I loved individual sports and I think I was pretty motivated Uh as a young kid. Like I think my parents probably have a lot of stories about me being very motivated to make progress in those sports, but I was never that good. To okay. be entirely honest, and I think the and only this is thing, high school. This is no, like this is even gro- pre pre high school. Okay, like yeah, the only thing I was I was kind of good at was running, uh-huh. and I think I only liked it because I was kind of good at it. I didn't love competing and running. I loved training with friends, and I loved being out on trails. All the same things we love about mountain biking, right. but like the actual races, like seventeen minutes of hell. Yeah, I, d- I just didn't have fun racing. I don't think, um, well, no, I shouldn't say that. That's a joke. You know, you see a runner. It's like, why are runners not smiling? Because it's not fun. <laughs> With all due deference I to do, runners, I well, run, yeah. All, we are all cut <laughs> from the same cloth. And yeah. I think the things that I like about running are a lot of the things I like about mountain biking. Okay. Um, have you ever I thought think... of riding a horse um, and riding a bike to be similar, except a horse is a bike with a brain? <laughs> I'm terrified of horses. No, I... Like, it's really interesting to reflect on because they are very different sports and they don't share a lot in common except for maybe how you would describe them as riding. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's but the extent. my approach to sports has always been very similar. And until I found mountain biking, I didn't find the right outlet for that. Like, I used to have horseback riding lessons and I would, like, take notes on what I was doing well and no not way. doing well. And, like, would, like, have meetings with my trainer. And, see, yeah. I was never that good at them, but, like, I was really... <laughs> But a student into, of the trade in the process. I was a student of the trade in yeah. the process. Okay. And I never found the right outlet for that until I found mountain biking. And there were all these aspects of the sport that you could optimize and study and learn and improve. And that's something that I still have. Like, I still have the longest list mm-hmm. of things 
to improve in every different category. And all my coaches will tell you, I've already been bothering them. Like, okay, did you see when I did this? Or did you yeah. see this part of the season? I did this and we need to do this again. And I want to do this better. Do you suppose, did you have success? I mean, you got into it, speaking of being a student of the sport, you got into it as a student of a student. You got in it, into it through NICA, correct? I did. Yeah. Great program. High school mountain bike league, as I call it. Um, yeah. Were you successful there? Did you jump in? You're like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. Uh, Pretty decent. (laughs) So I am lucky to be from Marin, where mountain biking is the thing to do. And there's a lot of great resources here to help uh, young athletes develop. So I was on a NICA team um, for Branson High School and then also raced for the whole athlete uh, specialized junior development team. Mm -hmm. So those together were kind of the perfect start for me. So I, I did my first race as a NorCal League racer in the freshman category, and I did win that race and move up to JV. And at your second race, on my second race, so the first race I did freshman, I moved up, and then I did not win uh, the JV races. I think I was, you know, in some tight battles in those Mm -hmm. races, and then the next year race varsity. And at the time, the top five, I think, in varsity in our uh, league, it was kind of the this like magical period of time where that was basically the top five of the nation. Oh, um, no way. So like Shayna Palace, yeah. Nielsen Palace was racing in the men's. Like there were amazing athletes in that wave of okay. uh, my kind of year. And even my senior year when I was racing junior world cups and I mean, won a junior world cup that year and, and was doing okay internationally. I was like not winning yeah. NorCal races. Oh, that's I was hilarious. getting like third and fifth and <laughs> was kind of bummed in the spring and then, yeah. you know, had good results outside of it. So it, it was a really good uh, place to start and being able to race both there in the spring and then with my development team um, kind of at the U.S. races mm-hmm. was was a really good combination to get me started. Yep. I'm a huge I, – I got into cycling in college. And so I'm a huge proponent of collegiate cycling because – yeah, I certainly didn't do juniors. I didn't do high school. Um, and I think collegiate cycling, the time of year being in the spring, it segues into the, the you know, sort of elite regular, quote unquote, regular season outside of collegiate cycling so well. So, I mean, yeah, it just feeds a really good development. And then you're, of course, doing that at four years younger, which is all the better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine you're as big a proponent of NICA. As I am, as, and I didn't even experience exactly. Yeah, no, I think it's great, and I it's it's I'm a big fan of NICA for a lot of reasons, and I've you know talked about this a little bit, I think, but I got my start there as a racer, and mm-hmm. that's was the path for me. I'm so lucky to be able to do this as my job; it's my favorite thing to do, and I've somehow finagled my way into being paid to do it. Right, um, keep <laughs> keep the ruse up. This is brilliant. Yeah. But uh, yes, we're don't tell anyone. It's uh-huh. <laughs> it's a trick. Uh-huh. No, but for me that was the right path, and it was a really cool launch pad for that. But I think that its impact and uh, significance goes far beyond that to um, really bringing people into the sport, bringing people outside, and getting people active that maybe wouldn't be drawn to sports in general. Like I think I likely would have found some kind of outlet for my stamp collecting, athletic for my stamp collecting. And my, just like being an athletic person, like I I might've been a runner. I don't know. I might've been something else, but I'm really, really happy that I'm a cyclist. But for kids that wouldn't make the basketball team or would get hundred percent 
Yeah, my dad actually, I was talking to him about this, and he was like, you know, when I was 10 years old, I got cut from Little League, and was, <laughs> he never recovered yeah. from that moment. But true, like truly, 10-year-olds are getting cut from Little League. Uh-huh. Like, it's, you know, kind of no wonder that people aren't sticking with sports and finding a really healthy, positive outlet for uh, being active. And I think Nike is one of those things that gets kids involved, and it can mean different things to different people, and you can be there to win, or you can be there to conquer some personal challenge like maybe just finishing the race is huge maybe just getting to the race is Mm -hmm. huge and towing the line takes a lot of courage Um, and I think it can be really impactful in a lot of different people's lives and I think it's it's all very well and cute for us to say it and the listener to hear it but it's especially going to the races or seeing even one high school team's practice I've been absolutely floored how welcoming the community is. It is, it is, you know, the, not to be crude, but sort of like an awkward kid who was kicked off the soccer team who was just looking for a community and, yeah. and they're welcomed immediately and they're practicing their wheelies mm-hmm. and they're practicing their shoulder bumps. And it's like, it's just such a positive vibe that, yeah, I can't. I completely I, agree. I was that awkward girl who was a runner. And I wasn't going to say that. She's kicked no, out the basketball team, but still, yeah. still awkward kid. Uh, but Actually, hilariously enough, my boyfriend was the captain of the mountain bike team at the time and was <laughs> very influential. And he, we were not dating in high okay. school, to be clear. Got it. Um, he wasn't like recruiting. My unless he subtly was he recruiting was. you. He was like, this girl's good at running. We have no girls on the team. And in the NorCal League and I think all NICA leagues, to score as a team, you have to have a girl. Hmm. And I love this because it... We were we are very important on the teams. Absolutely. Um, and so one might say critically important. Critically important. And these guys are like, we need you. You're amazing. You're like the cornerstone of our team. <laughs> we got to get you on a bike. He, <laughs> the cornerstone of the team. We got to get you <laughs> exactly. to our first race. We got to get you on a bike, and you will be the most important oh rider. But I do think that's like an important part of the community. And for me, I think you know feeling. Like I was really wanted and important at these races and that I had a place on the team and that I was contributing uh, was part of, I think, what drew me so much to the sport and what made it fun more broadly than just winning or losing, um, which I think was part of what was missing a bit for me in the running. Sure. So you then took your high school diploma and went directly to Stanford? Is that right? I did, yes. Um, Very cool. Do you... Did you graduate in four years? So, it's... Yes, kind okay. of. Uh, yes, I took with a qualifier. I took two quarters to go uh, try to make the Olympic team in 2016. Okay. Um, but I did finish my degree on time hmm. in, like, 2017. I finished all of Stanford's requirements and, uh, like, general requirements to graduate. But I did not have 180 units because I had taken two quarters off. So, I was 14 units short. Um, and I found a loophole. <laughs> I was about to say, are you in the loophole that says you're not actually a graduate? So okay. I this is found rad. a loophole that you can do up to 15 units online hmm. or at any university if, if you've completed every single requirement. So it's only for units. Okay. And this was actually like the greatest day of my life when I figured this out because Stanford doesn't accept any online credits. You have to do everything in person. There's yeah. not a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. for non-varsity athletes. So that was really, really challenging. And when I found this loophole, I like ran around the house 
yeah. laughing because <laughs> I realized that I could walk on time, be uh-huh. done at Stanford, and last fall, so the fall of 2017. You've not I even been graduated did, for a year. No, I did 14 units online uh, in the fall. Yeah. From home. Crazy. Trained a lot, and then graduated technically in like December of yep. 2017. So, but you got to walk. But I got to Wait. walk, and I technically graduated early man, in oh terms man. of number of quarters. So it worked out swimmingly with the online loophole. Where, sorry, where did, when did you walk? I walked in the spring of 2017. So okay. last spring. Got it, got it, got it. My goodness. But it, well, was, it was kind of a farce. I didn't actually graduate. So <laughs> to all the listeners, I'm sorry for misleading you. Well, yes, you, <laughs> you somehow <laughs> snuck through. You got through Stanford. Good gravy. Don't tell anyone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did uh, you didn't race any collegiate stuff? I did. Or did you? Did yeah, you? my first two uh, years at Stanford, I did the collegiate fall mm-hmm. mountain bike season. Um, and then my last two years, I, I didn't. They were on the East Coast, and those trips were pretty long and a little bit difficult without a lot of support. Sure. Um so, so I ended up not being able to do it. And kind of honestly, at that point, I was racing, um, you know, pretty seriously in the U23 World Cups. And it was, you know, time for my off season. I, I really needed that time. Absolutely. Huge proponent of that. Um, you have a degree in human biology? Yes, that is correct. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> I don't really know. I'm kidding. I do. Uh <laughs> It's actually at Stanford, they have a really interesting program. The human biology um, programs are a good mix between the hard sciences, kind of biology side of it, and a lot of the social science. So like uh, health policy, Hmm. um, a lot of the kind of one might say softer side of uh, what goes into biology and health and all those really interesting topics that got me excited about the degree. Um, and one of the things that's really cool about it is you get to customize your degree. So Ooh, I chose cool. my own concentration and you can choose pretty much anything. Uh-huh. So I designed my own and it was, um, global public health and technology innovation. It's Whoa. Very Silicon Valley. Uh, <laughs> does anybody else choose a similar concentration or like, it's so acute that you get to do it alone. I designed that one with like classes that yeah. I was interested in and all that fun stuff, but uh, but everyone can either, you know, kind of design their own or pick based on what other people have done. Um, a lot of people do things related to technology or health policy, um, but if you do have a really specific interest, like you could have concentrated in exercise physiology, like you right. can make the concentration um, anything adjacent to human biology that really hits on your interests Mm -hmm. um so for me that was kind of the technology side of it and i was in a really good place to do that and took a lot of like really interesting classes on uh on startups and mobile health technology and all these really interesting things that were kind of new and exciting in silicon valley that's very cool i mean yeah uh uh, health care is changing dramatically uh as a result of technology probably no better place to do it than silicon valley in these contemporary times, similar but different. You said you you really like to nerd out on your training. So, <laughs> yeah, did you ever integrate any like power numbers into your degree? I'm a general nerd. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> yes, it's a good thing I, to be aware of. So that's good. No, it was it, those two those two aspects of my nerdiness remain a little bit separate. But um, but I'm certainly very big on power numbers. 
very big on analysis. Uh, and I guess I bring that up thinking yeah. not in any way to put a cart in front of a horse. You're a 22-year-old <laughs> world champion with a enormous career ahead of you do you have do you have an interest in ultimately going going back to use this degree in call it 10 15 20 whatever years or uh uh i mean do you think is it sort of a serendipitous play yeah. and and you'll see how life unfolds i think maybe more the latter i'm, okay. I'm kind of Great taking answer. it one one step at a time um i'm i'm really grateful to be doing this right now and and i love racing my bike and want to really go for it and, mm -hmm. and put myself fully into that. Um, I will say, I do think I use my degree a lot. Uh, I write articles and, and even in, you know, interviews and doing speaking engagements. I think all those things, having a college degree has really prepared me, um, and, and makes me more comfortable doing them. And yeah. I think that's really important. It just, it feels better for me, uh, having had classes that prepared me to do some of those things. Um, and I, I feel you know, more equipped to handle some of the more difficult parts of that job. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in terms of, you know, transitioning, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. And it's while I'd like to continue racing as long as I possibly can, um, you know, anything can happen. So for me being able to know, I have, I wouldn't necessarily call it a backup plan, but knowing that I have other options, uh, really empowers me to choose to do this and feel really good about, I want to be a bike racer because I want to be a bike racer. It's not because I don't have another option. It's not because it's the only thing I could possibly ever be good at. Um, it's because I love it and I want to do it. And I've gotten this amazing opportunity to do it full time. And if God forbid something happened and I wasn't able to do that, I know that I could find something else that would make me happy and I could potentially do well. Um, and so I think for me, that's, that's why having a degree is really empowering and cool. Uh, not necessarily cause I need to use it right the second or cause I need that backup plan, but because it gives me the agency to, to choose what I'm doing. To the, to the listener, I'm literally here fist pumping because <laughs> I've received a fist so pump. Well said. Um, I mean, I would, I got into cycling at Middlebury I loved that I had the degree. It certainly didn't guarantee you of anything, but it 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 somehow tangentially offers you. Yeah, it's more of an emotion. It's a feeling. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a feeling of support through this thing that's oddly ethereal, but yet totally there. Uh, I think that's freaking awesome. Uh, similarly, speaking of support, you have you have a great deal of support from your family. You have you've you've great parents. Do you have siblings? I have one older brother. One older brother. Let's talk about your folks because they seem like wonderful yeah. people. Um, your dad rides a bike quite a bit. He's a full-time cyclist, he's actually. A, he's a semi-professional. He's not professional because aspiring. he doesn't get, yeah. Aspiring professional cyclist. Mm-hmm. Um, full-time. Uh-huh. Is he a training it. partner? He is. He's, yeah, I love riding my bike with my dad. I started riding bikes with my dad actually long before I knew mountain biking was a sport that you could do competitively. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we just did it for fun. And still, that's one of my favorite things to do. My dad um, is super fit still. Although this year we did have to break out the e-bike a little bit. So oh, no way. it's been tough. E-mountain or e-road? E-mountain. Okay. E-mountain bike. Yeah. But I, th I think Worlds was very validating for him. He's like, see? 
<laughs> she is really fast. It's not just it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. Now, now he feels better about it. Um, and on the road, I, you know, it went from my dad pulling all the time to now me pulling. Awesome. Um, but I think even even that is really cool. Like I think it's cool for him to see uh, how far I've come, and and for us to be able to ride together and me to have the upper hand because there were a lot of years of me suffering mm-hmm. and my dad would make fun of me for how slow I was. Mm-hmm. True, true story. There was a time when I was like, you know, strict on my train schedule. I'm like, got to see in zone one yeah. doing like 120 Watts. I can't even <laughs> imagine how slow I was going. And my dad used to joke like, okay, I'm just going to go to the top, uh, eat a couple burritos, come back and you'll probably still be right here. So now I, now I give him a hard time about that. It and was the, worth it. The rules have reversed in some ways. That's outstanding. Well, Here's a story that I've never told because there's never been a purpose to tell it. Uh, as soon as I moved to Marin, which was January 2016, okay. um, I, I saw some good friends, uh, the Lena Dacuses. Oh, yeah, I know. And at that point, so it's 2016, right? And they said, oh, man, you got to look up this girl. She's she's the daughter of a couple of family friends of ours. She has high aspirations. She's at Stanford. And I knew through Leah Davison, who I went to school with, that, oh, there's this, you guys were teammates then, I believe, and I'm like, she's totally fine, she has Leah as a mentor, teammate, friend, but there's like, what the heck am I going to tell this girl who's aspiring, because it's, it was sort of the, the, you know, Tim and Suzanne, they ride bikes, they understand the the program, and there you are as this aspiring athlete, who would have guessed in 2016, the places you've gone, (laughs) and it was, yeah, so they're friends with your folks, and yada, yada, yada. So, uh, how about your mom? How is she part of? How is she part of the the team fam? Does she ride bikes? Uh, she obviously is at the finish line, crying with tears of support. That was love, super special. Love that that was awesome. Um, my mom is the team captain, basically. Uh, my mom outstanding. No, my mom. My mom's amazing. So a lot of people don't know. My mom uh, was a, an employment lawyer. She was a partner at a law firm. She's very smart and very competent lady. Um, and for me, you know, recently and in the last couple of years, there's, there's been more to the job than just riding my bike. And I think that's something that people, uh, don't think about with cycling as much, but you know, there is a lot of, um, contract management and sponsor management and media management and just a lot of things that have to get done. And my mom has kind of stepped up into like the business managing role for me, which is killer that she has the attorney background. Uh, Exactly. I think, I think sometimes she gets, I'm like very, it's very hard. I sometimes introduce her as Maggie and not like, Oh, this is my mom. Who's my business manager. Cause people have so many kind of, preconceived notions about mothers being involved in sports but yep. my mom is completely the opposite she's incredibly qualified yeah, yeah so like i would hire her to do this job if i if she was just a regular person mm-hmm. who i found and hired um but she can do it so much better because she knows me and she's really good at it she's really uh the perfect person to have kind of guiding me and helping me navigate these situations and, and getting, um, the most out of my career, both for myself in terms of just like being in a place where I have the right support and I have, um, you know, the right people around me and I have the right village to kind of direct me in terms of coaching, but also just media, all these things. But also for me, um, a big part of my cycling career is, is being able to connect with, 
young girls who are getting into the sport and, and people, you know, all around the country who are, are lovers of mountain biking. And my mom is really good at helping me find ways to, nice. to do that. And sometimes I put things on her <laughs> table that I don't have time for. And it's, it's huge. It's one of the most important things that's going to enable me to focus on pedaling fast in the future. Bingo. That's awesome. Yeah. There's plenty of times they do have to be selfish or, or, you know, put the blinders up and the blockers up and just focus on it. So it's cool to have that kind of support. And so with that kind of support, be it the team or especially on a familial level, mm. have you had any experiences in cycling that have, have made you question like, why am I doing this? Do I, do I want to continue? Is, mm. should I stop? I mean, you know, it's, it's not a sport that at a young age you really say, Shh, I'm going to plant my flag here and make this my, my career. I mean, yeah, yeah. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, I think for me, those moments were in college. And I think that was one of the most important things that came out of, uh, getting my degree was having those moments and having times where I felt um, that I really had to choose this path and that sometimes it was the hard thing to choose and the hard thing to do and, um, you know, making it work with school and, you know, running from long training rides with a cliff bar to class are moments where you're thinking, oh, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And, and you have, you always have that thought, even on just a long, hard, rainy day on your bike, you kind of have that thought, oh, why am I out here? And then if there's a good reason you kind of have a renewed commitment to it. And for me, I had to ask myself that question a lot, but I also would be running to class and be like, oh, why am I doing this? And I'd be like, actually, you know, this is really important to me. I really love this. I think I'm good at it. I, I have this goal or I have this, um, you know, next thing that I want to do. And, and so, yeah, it is worth it. And, and having that conversation with myself every day for basically four years uh, left me with a huge sense of confidence in why I ride my bike and why it's important to me and what about me makes that a key part of my personality and my aspiration. And, and you know, also I think points out to you those things that make it meaningful. For example, for me, connecting with other people who love riding their bikes um, then helps direct your career and uh, kind of a way that maximizes those opportunities. Boom. Nailed it. That's what I loved about it. It was, it was such a perfect balance of academics and athletics. It balances you as a person, which you don't totally realize at the time as a student, mm -hmm. but you know, you're not a hyper nerd, even though you said you're a nerd <laughs> exclusively focusing on academics and you're not, you know, uh, uh, the quarterback of the Stanford football team who may or may not be going to class with all due respect to him. I'm sure he did. <laughs> Very smart guy. Um, but yeah, it just balances you and, and sort of rounds you out as a whole person. So it's a very good cool. opportunity for growth. I'm sure you Jokes. have the same feeling. Uh huh. With uh, plenty of questions <laughs> in the meantime, like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. But yeah. Then Some you... of it's type two fun coming yeah. back to type two. hundred percent. Okay. You did it. <laughs> so as I scroll through my phone here, what I'm looking mm -hmm. at is the questions that we've thrown to the audience. Thank okay. you. Instagram. Um, let's see. Coming in from Katie. Not Kate. You didn't ask yourself this question. How do you handle your nerves before a race? Ooh, that's a very good one. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, nerves before a race. I think being nervous is good. Mm -hmm. If you're nervous, it means you care and that your body's preparing to do something exciting. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways it's good to be nervous, but I think there's different, there's a difference between being a little nervous and being 
stricken with anxiety and (laughs) the latter is not helpful to your race performance and also just makes the entire experience not very fun. So for me, I really rely on my pre-race rituals and on my process um, to get me ready for race day. And I think everyone has a different way of uh, kind of staving off that anxiety. For me, it's being super organized and super dialed ahead of time. So Mm -hmm. clothes are laid out ahead of time. And, And some of these things are completely psycho and weird like just folding everything in certain ways and but for me it's like i know on race day i'm gonna wake up and i'm gonna know exactly where that number is and it's gonna be pinned exactly to my jersey and i am ready to go Mm -hmm. so whatever it is that makes you feel i am ready to go do that thing and do it every time so this was a question i was going to ask earlier not from the audience unless it's the audience of me which it is right here (laughs) do you have any superstitions or is it purely like you're saying, like, I wouldn't yeah. say I had superstitions, but I would always pin my number the same way just because it's the number, way I pin my number. Or you've put your clothes out, like you said, just because you put clothes out. Yeah. Superstitions. Think, like for me, superstitions, I've tried not to. I have less now than I ever had before. Like I remember when I was racing mm-hmm. as a high schooler and I had like the lucky sports bra and then yes. I'd win and I have lucky socks and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> I can't keep up all of this stuff. Like, Oh, what if I forgot? I have to do so much laundry. Exactly. My socks. So I've tried to let go of a lot of those things. Um, I think I do have a lucky number cool. and worlds did not help with this given that it's number seven oh, and I goodness. was number seven at worlds. So Ooh. forever the lucky number right uh-oh. there. Uh-oh. Um, you heard it here at the first. <laughs> it's like really, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, okay, this is fair. Uh, we're going to continue with that. But in general, I think um, I would categorize myself as having rituals more than superstitions. And mm-hmm. the rituals don't have to go perfectly. It's more just the idea that I need to know that I will have everything I need. Like some people like to be a little late or like rummage around in their bag last minute and, and that actually distracts them and in a way that makes them relaxed. Yep. For me, that's the most stressful thing that could exist. Like I need to have everything just kind of laid out and then if something goes wrong, okay, I can adapt. That's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, what if it doesn't go right? Are you in a tizzy or you still have the time to go through the program to... It's Yeah, for me, it's more about feeling like I went through the process I needed to, to be ready. And then if something goes wrong, I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm prepared to deal with it. Right on. Great perspective. Um, do you have any advice for any kiddos, especially girls going into sports and particularly cycling? This comes from my friend, Frank, who I was talking about earlier. Frank, um, advice for girls, advice for girls. Uh, this is always hard. I want to have good advice, but it's so hard. I feel like I'm, it's a tremendously vague question. It. Come on, Frank. Um, I would say one of the things is just go for it. Uh, and I know that sounds like very generic advice, but I think for girls um, at that age, if you're young, getting into a sport, like one of the things that really helped me, and this isn't just in cycling, it's just in general in life, uh, is that I think I grew up with an older brother and a really awesome dad. And my dad never led me to believe there was any reason I couldn't do anything. Um, and that anything my brother could do, I could do. And that's not, it's not a specific thing that he said or did. It's just more of the advice of, or just the general attitude of, oh yeah, why wouldn't you be able to ride a mountain bike? Oh yeah, why wouldn't you be able to ski? Eh, yeah, like, right. why wouldn't you be able to do that? And I think so awesome. for girls, that's really important. It's, it's, if you watch the little Bellas, for example, I've, I've been lucky enough to go and ride with them and mm-hmm. you notice 
if no one tells them that they can't ride something, they'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you say, this is really hard, we need to stop and look at this, huh. then they say, ooh, I don't know if I can do it. Oh, no way. And I think that's basically the, <laughs> the issue a lot of times with young girls is that they sometimes get those like, ooh, maybe you can't do this. And then they start thinking, ooh, maybe I can't. Whereas if you just let them roll with it, um, I think they will surprise you with how badass and awesome and skilled and fearless they can be. Hot damn. <laughs> that was amazing advice. Um, really well said. So coincidentally, I didn't realize this until uh, maybe two months ago. Little Bellas, which was started by our friends yeah. Leah and Saber Davison. Their office headquarters is right next to Untapped. And I don't mean just next door. I mean, they like... They share a base lodge for their for their office. So, um, hinging off the question of superstitions, Sweet. and now talking about untapped maple syrup, I understand you travel to Europe with a waffle maker, <laughs> which is legendary. Uh, Tell me about the importance well, of waffles to your regime. I like to have a waffle maker on every continent at any time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I've never been to Asia, so we'll work on that. But... I did have a European waffle maker and a South African waffle maker. Outstanding. And then I have a couple at home. Um, what do you for batter? Uh, Bob's Red Mill gluten-free. Mm. Dang, thanks. I am gluten-free. I have a little gluten allergy. I get really congested. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't stop me sometimes with pumpkin bread pumpkin for breads. one might say. So Hypothetical good. situation. If one were to. Uh, yeah. If one were to see pumpkin bread, it might be worth it. Uh, but, yeah, for me, that's a really good pre-race thing. And I also... Again, with the rituals, like, I eat waffles, and I feel like it. it's a good thing. It fuels me well. I feel good on the bike after I eat them, and I think that's different for everybody. You know, for example, for me, like, synthetic caffeine makes my stomach hurt. Or, like, you know, it's different things work for different people. Uh, no, I had this momentary <laughs> freakout that you just witnessed because that's why we use purely coffee organic coffee with our maple syrup there's two ingredients because yeah like people's bodies react differently with synthetic caffeine completely it's some people are fine some funk. people are not oh it's just some not people good are for great you with waffles some people are not yeah. some people feel great after they drink coffee and some people do not so yeah. i think it is an individual thing but for me that has worked mm-hmm. and having that ritual also it's something i do on race morning i make my little waffles and it just it's just part of the program and it makes me feel ready to go and that's I think awesome that's yeah now i'll have these lovely little packets and i can avoid the disaster i was telling ted about earlier where a maple syrup bottle opened in my suitcase once um so <laughs> tsa approved untapped yeah. <laughs> maple packets progress we're yes. making progress um how do you feel now now as a new englander i believe maple syrup first and foremost and generally exclusively, what do you feel about savory waffles? You ever do that? Ooh. Like avocado and pepper? I'm making that up. You know, I have I think sweet potato waffles are something that oh. I'm interested in trying, have not yet. Yeah, sweet um, potato pancakes are out of this I'm, world. Oh, I'm kind of like a classic gal. You know, okay. I love my I'm I think it's more about the waffle maker in a lot of ways. This is something I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> I'm laughing. Just picturing like a Mickey Mouse shaped head. My favorite thing, uh, my college graduation present for my boyfriend was the like Lamborghini of waffle makers. <laughs> and Does he share your love or are you like gifting it to him so that you get to use it? No, it, no, no. He gave it to me as oh. my present for graduating college. It Good was work. Like, <laughs> What's his name? It was amazing. Will. Will. That's um, thoughtful to end all was, thoughtfulness. That's but great. But it was kind of hilarious because he's like, I feel like I should get you something like bigger or like 
I don't know. Like, what do you get one for graduation? It's not usually this. And yeah. I was like, sweetheart, this is the best present you've ever given me. I will use it every day. Yeah. Everything and I from will. this point forth is a letdown unless like, you give me one for each give content. give me any other presents. Uh, you've ended all present giving. Is it... Is it such a Lamborghini model that presumably that's not your travel model? Yes, it's. Too, I can't bring it with me. It's like integrated into your kitchen. It kind of, it's like it's, getting a piped in espresso machine. It's heavy. It has seven settings. Yeah. Um, and also, it. <laughs> do you want to hear more about it? What does that even mean? Seven so settings seven of what? Seven settings of crispiness. Oh my gosh. It also. Something you may not even know. <laughs> this conversation this is, is outstanding. Um. So it beeps when it's hot. So you can like plug in your waffle maker, go do something for a second. Yeah. It beeps, put in the waffle mix uh-huh. and it will beep when it's done. And it's perfectly done oh my to gosh. one of seven crispiness settings. So you don't have to stand there and like wait for a light right. to turn right. and forget about it. Like it truly is a luxury uh, and I miss it while I was gone. Will, hats off to you. <laughs> um, well, as you long for this waffle maker as your world travels, who mm-hmm. were your, this was a terrible segue. I was trying to say, yeah. who do you, who did you long for? Who are your, who are your role models growing yeah. up? We were talking about this on our little, um, sure shred session earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of them. I did ski race. We mentioned, um, and Lindsay Vaughn has always been one of my big heroes. And, uh, that is someone that I still look up to. Uh, I think she's an incredibly inspiring athlete and, and races with a lot of heart um, and grit, which I really respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? I think in the sport specifically, as we talked about, Leah Davison uh, was my teammate when I was first racing World Cups. And it was really cool to see her uh, doing so well internationally and getting medals at World Championships. I think, you know, she got a medal and in my first year no ever racing World Cups, uh, Georgia Gould's, that was the year that she, it was an Olympic year. I started racing in 2012. Vermont. I think you have oh, a, you have a my goodness. connection to Vermont here between Leah You're, and Georgia. All the people that are cooler in Vermont, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Georgia won her bronze medal at the Olympics the first year that I raced World Cups. Nice. And she won a bronze medal. This, I don't know if I've told this story yet, but she won the bronze medal at the world championships that year. It was my first year racing world cups. I was 17 and I got to go as a first year junior to world championships. Nice. Promptly crash into a tree with my head and got a really gnarly concussion. So not a great first world championships for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually this is, it was before kind of people knew as much about my concussions. And I started the race and like 10 minutes in couldn't see and DNF'd. Oh, good Lord. So it yeah. was really not, a great experience for me and actually has pushed me to learn a lot more about concussions and be a very, very strong advocate of people not racing their bikes with concussions. Totes. But that year, my strongest memory, shocking that I remember anything, <laughs> my strongest memory was standing and watching the elite women's race and Georgia Gould came in for the bronze medal and she had a huge gap and mm-hmm. was coming in and they pray, played Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA oh, as she came across the line and that song was on my pre-race playlist this year for world champs and i was like i remembered that moment and it was a very cool thing you're to s- carry on that torch yeah you're setting yourself up for some superstitions here Good see work. now this is the problem yeah well Ugh, it's really you, at least it's a great song yeah so if your superstition is to listen to thanks, kick Bruce. ass music then. thanks um coming in from our friend tim johnson who is Ugh. always on this podcast somehow describe Beautiful. for us please a world champion taco 
A world champion taco. Any taco. <laughs> Any, huh, Any delicious taco. How about, okay, first, but, hinging off that, what was the first taco you had when you came back stateside? Because needless ooh. to say, not needless to say, to our uninformed listeners, European tacos. There aren't, they don't exist. They don't exist. They except pretend to, but. Mm. Best thing ever about living in uh, Girona, you know, they have basically Mexican food in Europe, as you know, is typically like the frozen section of a grocery store. Yes. And you, it's like, it's like hot, spicy fried cheese. Um, Miguel married, he was, he's from Mexico and he, he, uh, married a woman from Catalonia and he opened a authentic Mexican restaurant in Girona and it was, can you was, get some information on yeah, this later? If you could so send rad. me an email uh-huh. or just, just gotta go visit. we could just fly there now. Oh, it's out of this That's world. really a good thing to know about. Thank you. Yes. Everybody should visit. Life changing. Um, um, but I will, I have a confession to make. Go. So I am gluten free. Mm-hmm. I'm very strictly gluten-free for basically 11 months and two weeks of the year. Um, and then kind of throw caution to the wind and deal with being congested and not feeling great for the other two weeks so that I can eat foods that I'm not allowed to eat. Yep. One of the reasons tacos are one of my absolute favorite things is because they're one of the easiest foods to consistently find anywhere Mm -hmm. that are gluten-free because they have corn tortillas Mm -hmm. and corn tortillas, usually are gluten-free you can ask and make sure but usually they are um and pretty much all taco shops have a corn tortilla option so Mm -hmm. it's great but the thing that i was really craving when i got back to the states was a quesadilla corn tortilla quesadillas don't steal this idea but i really want to start a business to make big (laughs) corn tortillas that you can make giant quesadillas with but they not exist no oh my gosh I think Kate's, so, Kate's ideas is going to be. <laughs> this is clearly not <laughs> not just just coming here uh, 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 without having done due I diligence. Thought about you this. even have a name for this product. I'm ready to go. Oh my gosh, this is not really going to happen. But you really can't find the big corn tortillas a lot. I think part of it is because they lack gluten, which makes things stick together <laughs> right. and they fall apart. But I really, wow. I was just dying for a quesadilla with. Those big, giant, luxurious yeah. flour tortillas. Yeah, it, so, it goes back to the pumpkin bread. Like you want, was, you want substance. Yes, you want the size volume. to it, right? I so that was the first thing I had. I went to Sancho's, my favorite taco place that's nearby, and I uh-huh. got a quesadilla. And I actually got, I got the veggie quesadilla and added meat and avocado oh. to it. And yeah. he was like, "Do you want? So you want all? Is it? Do you want all the things? You want I was all like, the will things? It fit? Yeah." And he said, "We will make it happen yes. for you." So it was the a very mm-hmm. very stuffed quesadilla, and it was delicious. That's my jam, and <laughs> more than anyone needs to know. It's like when I order pizza, I want the supreme. I want everything on it. Yeah. Um, if I want, Toppings. if I'm gonna get ice cream, you don't get chocolate ice cream. I want the the, the ice cream with like 75 different things the in it. The whole kit and caboodle. The whole enchilada the whole quesadilla if you will how about just within a stone's throw from here yes. is mas masa mas masa have you been to and the, grillies i've never and, been to grillies Oof, their fish tacos are really good at grillies grillies to me just sounds like a burger joint that's part of the reason i've always hesitated to go there I for a taco also understand that it's there's a, it's a specific order that i think is okay. exceptional there uh-huh. um and then also we have mi pueblo no me digas in what? that means you don't say <laughs> I'm partial Spanish. Yes. You said it so fast. It's really. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one is a little bit further away, but that's a good post mountain bike option. So mm-hmm. lots of choices. Lots of choices in the post mountain bike options and establishments straight across the street 
from Mas Masa is Gestalt House, mm-hmm. which is iconic. It's the kind of place that mountain bikers go into. If you've never been there before and you're like, every town in the world needs this, but there's some special sauce here oh. in Fairfax that makes this place exist exclusively. It's amazing. And the only thing more amazing than this, it's almost like a contemporary new age Applebee's in the number of goofy things <laughs> hanging on the wall. Hear me out. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's a terrible way to describe it, but that's what I always think. It's like, Oh man, there's so many funny tangents that I want to take on this. But one of the coolest things hanging on the wall there is your picture. You have a oh signed photo in Gestalt House. I'm yes. so jealous. Do you want to know how that came to be? I, I'm dying to know. So my mom okay. has a bike group. She kills it. It's three awesome ladies. Uh-huh. Uh, they go on really cool rides. And they're all like very, very smart, cool. One of them is the, she was the poet laureate. The US one year. Good so they Lord. have like very intellectual conversations. Yeah. They're not and are awesome. Talking about tacos or like um, but they're the coolest little bike group. World. And they go on their bike rides and then they go to Gasalt House. And they're like celebrities. Like yeah. I can't even go there with my mom. She's everyone <laughs> knows her. It's like her stomping ground. So yeah. she got that poster in there. I think that's the only reason I kind of made the cut is Amazing. Maggie Courtney. Personal yeah. representative. Here she is, the Perfect. ambassador to cycling. <laughs> mountain bike world champion goes into a mountain bike specific bar, and her mom is a celebrity. That's outstanding. Is, yeah, love it. There you go. The reason I was laughing to explain my my weird giggle before is when I was talking about Applebee's and all the goofy stuff on the wall. That's a line from Super Troopers, where they're like, "Hey, Farva, what's the name of your restaurant with like goofy shit on the wall?" Pardon me. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> Um, which was a question from our audience. Do you like Super Troopers or Dumb and Dumber more? Are either of these movies contemporary to you? Neither <laughs> of them. <laughs> uh, okay, fair. Have you seen either of them? Please I tell me you've seen Dumb and Dumber. Maybe not. Okay, today's October like, 1st. Your first, okay. your off season is happening now? Here we go. This is perfect. I'm teed Dumb up. and Dumber. Teed up. Dumb and Dumber. Okay. That's and my, Super Troopers, if you have time. My homework, really. Um... Goodness, this is going long in the tooth. Your your Oof. patience is wonderful. Thank you. It's all good. I'm I like talking. <laughs> Talking's fun. Well, Talking's fun. You like talking, and you gave me pumpkin bread, so that's kind of a. What was your spicy good. beverage there? Wait. That was a chai. Nice. It's a very delicious chai too. I might add. Tis the season. Tis I the mean, season. I'm just. It just feels. Back to our off-season thing. I'm like asking myself a question here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but it just to be able to go on a bike ride ride your mountain bike for however long you feel like and talk the whole time to you mm-hmm. and then get a luxurious banana bread or pumpkin bread mm-hmm. and like smooth. whatever beverage yeah. you feel like is just so luxurious that is what the off season is all about i couldn't agree more that's what retirement's all about i mean <laughs> not to expedite that for You're you like, but I do this every day yeah this is this is a typical monday well with that all said in the previous hour and 10 minutes being said Yes. I'm going to wrap up with three questions that I often ask, which are perfect for this segue. I'm going to ask them all at once. One, Ooh. what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Okay. Two, what is the place that you would like to ride a bike that you never have? And three, if you could ride your bike with one person, which is kind of a funny question because you can ride your bike with a lot of people, and it's not like you're on a deserted island, but, okay, but like, as you're picking, who's the one person you would love to ride a bike with? That I've never ridden a bike with, or like, can it? Um, well, here, I'll answer it by way of answering it for me. Like, my brother. My brother got me into the sport. Yes, I can ride with him, but 
he would be an amazing person to ride with. Actually, no, I think the last time I answered this, I said my wife, but I ride with her like three days a week. So yeah, you're like, I feel like I should get more. Creative. And then, oh, also yeah. coincidentally, one of recent answer was the boss, Bruce Springsteen. So oh my goodness, you know, you know he could sing to me. Yeah, as we <laughs> you got you got plenty of take it in any way you'd like. Okay. Ready, set, go. Favorite place to ride a bike, uh, Marin County. Um, yeah, I think for a couple reasons, the riding here is amazing. I actually have moved to Palo Alto and the road riding there, I would say potentially controversial that it's better down there. I will verify that. The mountain biking up here is legendary and it's even better because it brings up a lot of memories of why I love the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, thing two, where have I never ridden my mountain bike that I'd love to? Yeah. It's a lot of places in Europe that I haven't. Um, but I think... I've never been to Asia anywhere mm. there. So next year, I have a feeling that I will be doing a test event in Tokyo. So Sick. that is my number one place I want to ride a bike, nice. Tokyo. I was about to qualify that with Asia is huge. Exa- so yes, you think East Asia, I'm not Mother trying to like treat Asia like a country. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I fully get. It's but you just saying a like continent Moscow. that I haven't been to. Yeah, likewise. Um, so that's something that is on my bucket list go there japan is mine so but good answer tokyo is for sure uh the place that i most want to ride my bike and hopefully i'll get to go there more than once mm-hmm. um because that would mean i would make the olympic team which would be wonderful yep thing three uh my dad honestly i think i have recently appreciated how much um fun it is to come home from a big trip and my dad and i just go kind of you know, fool around on our bikes and hang out and ride our favorite trails. And it's, it's really something for me that's super grounding. And I think at the end of the season, it's really easy to put your bike away and, oh, I'm not going to do this for a little while. But for me, it's actually, I want to do this, but I want to do it in the way that maximizes fun. What is the most fun way to ride my bike? Uh, and a lot of times that's going out with my dad, going as far as we feel like, stopping for candy. My dad, like, fills noon things with uh with jelly beans and <laughs> that's awesome. that's why he's a very popular ride partner so fun units per awesome. pedal stroke that sounds yes, high it's, uh okay it's important quick fourth question okay. because we share these training roads mm-hmm. where maybe yours is a candy store where's the one place like you are super excited to come back here for in order Ooh. to ride to this destination and that destination much must, must involve food so can it be in in Palo Alto, though. Or do you, you get two answers. Ride? Can I do two? Okay. Palo Alto, easy bread ride to Pescadero. Yes. Yes. My wife absolutely. did that yesterday. It's I was a, so yes, jealous. It is. There you go. See, it's a legendary thing. If you haven't done it, Artichoke do it. bread. And Artichoke bread. And there's a lot of ways to make that ride insanely epic. Have you yeah. done Butano, for example? Beats me. Probably this not. This is, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Tour guide. Don't you want to show keep me around. This going too long. <laughs> I don't want to bore you guys. But he's like, Next. is basically a. I think it's a 14 mile, uh, gravel, fire road oh climb. My Lord. And so from the Palo ride. Alto side? No, it's from Pescadero, and then it goes over to 236, like where Boulder Creek is, yeah. and then you ride up. It's, it's a six hour minimum adventure, but the bread is included in that time. So that's the coolest. Pescadero has has as we're explaining uh artichoke bread and their cookies are out of this world yes don't you get me started yes last time i was there katie hall and i did a really long train ride she's one of my favorite people to train with and both our coaches were like you guys are cracked like just go take it easy and we ended up we were going on a group ride and they're like we're gonna do the longest ride ever and katie and i were just having so much fun basically 
it was a play date mm-hmm. that we just didn't want to end. And we both texted our coaches, like, can we just like ride as long as we want? Ended up doing like a 95 mile huge ride and stopped and Katie ate like a pie and a cinnamon roll and I ate like a loaf of bread. So there's no way to make a Pescadero ride (laughs) short because nobody lives in Pescadero. Uh, so yeah, it's always worth the stop and then eat all the glutonious things. And here it's bovine. So I rode, uh, point raise yesterday. It was a blast and I got a chocolate chip cookie uh, and it was legendary and I spilled it. I got chocolate all over my white rainbow jersey oh, so gosh i need a tide sponsorship tide if you're listening um hey, uci we need more jerseys and, and we need some cleaning detergent i'm not a cool world champion and i'm gonna have a lot of problems with food on my clothes um <laughs> i imagine i wonder if anybody who has been the uci cycling world champion has sought out a detergent sponsor because it's kind of brilliant it's with brilliant. a white jersey it's brilliant so uh, Mama wants. Courtney, strike up a relationship. Mama Courtney, help me. All right. Kate, I really appreciate the time. Um, I hope you enjoyed that pumpkin bread. I really enjoyed this conversation. And have a kick-ass off-season. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to a few weeks of hanging out and hopefully some more pumpkin bread. Brilliant. All right. Thanks very much. Right, thank you.